Matthew 25. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or, in, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that's the conclusion of the Olivet Discourse. And so let's just take a minute. What I want you to go is just look at chapter 24. Okay. Remember the, the disciples come to him with a question. You know, Jesus had just told them that um, every stone was going to be thrown down. It says, Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then they come with the question. So tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the end of the age. So those are the questions that he's asking, that they are asking. Okay, and Jesus has just given them probably more than they bargained for. He has told them that there is going to be a great time of tribulation. He says there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, um, earthquakes, nation will rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And he says all these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. And when we looked at that, we, we matched it up with Revelation. And the, the, during the sealed judgments, these are coincide with those judgments, almost one after the other that Jesus lists here. And so we noted that most of these things are probably going to happen at the end, right? When God begins judging the earth, okay? The Antichrist is let loose. And remember what starts the seven-year tribulation period. It's the signing of a seven-year peace treaty, okay? According to Daniel 9.27, that he would make a covenant with many for one week, which one week or one seven is seven years, okay? But in the middle of that week, he would cut it off. And then we went to verse 14. I'm sorry, not verse 14. We went to verse 15 in 24, says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So when that happens, he's going to set up an image of himself. And we looked at that in Revelation and in 1 Thessalonians and how the Antichrist will go into the temple in Jerusalem. He will set up an image of himself and he will give that image life. Now, what that means, I have no clue. Okay, But everybody is to worship that image that is set up in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, okay? Because it's going to be rebuilt, all right? Um, and then it's going to get really bad. That's when he breaks his peace treaty with Israel and he starts warring against them. And they have to flee. He tells them, whoever is in Judea, flee to the mountains. And what mountains are those? Anybody remember? Say it out loud. Petra. Petra, the mountains of Petra and Jordan. Okay, Basra is um, an Old Testament name for that place. 
they're supposed to run there. They're not supposed to go inside, get their coat. They're supposed to stop and get nothing. The moment that that happens, they are to run for their lives. One second wasted is it probably could mean death. Okay? So they are to run. And they are, there's a place prepared for them there for a time, right? For three and a half years, they will be there, held up in the city of Petra. And um, the Lord will protect them. That's also in the book of Revelation. I cannot remember for the life of me what chapter it is. Um, let me see if I can find it just for you guys, so you guys can look at it. It's chapter 12, especially verses 13. Let me go ahead and read it. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, this is Satan, gets thrown to the earth, the woman who gave birth to the male child, this is actually speaking of Israel, not just Mary, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. One time, two times, half a time. That's three and a half years. Okay? So one, and then two, and then half. So that's three and a half. She's nourished there for a time, time, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, like a great flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he can't get to them. The Lord saves these people, so he goes and makes war with the rest of the Jews. And that's what it's talking about. This is a time the church is no longer here. The Jews are back in focus, okay, just like they were in the Old Testament. And so they are the focus, and I would say they're even the focus of what we're reading today in Matthew 25. Okay? Um, then, so this is going to be the time of the Great Tribulation. That last three and a half years, it's going to get very bad. There's going to be false prophets, false Christs that rise up. And then Jesus says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So Jesus Christ is coming back, and that's what this, this concerns right here. He is going to come back. He is going to go to, this, to Petra, to Basra, and he is going to rescue the Jews who are held up there, and then he's going to march them back through that whole place, 200 miles, all the way to Jerusalem. Okay, And then he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, and, and, and he will begin his reign. Okay, but something happens the moment he begins to reign, and that's what we are talking about today. So look at it again, verse 31, Matthew 25. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides its sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. So first off, he calls himself the Son of Man. Jesus, that's one of Jesus' most favorite titles for himself. Son of Man. You know, especially in Matthew. Now, where does Son of Man come from? Why does he call himself the Son of Man? I want you guys to listen to Daniel real quick. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels are a burning fire. A fire stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts... They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. 
I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So every time Jesus says, or refers to himself as the Son of Man, what is he saying? He's saying, I am that one. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay? It is not like, you know, just the Son of Adam, like all the rest of you, or something like that. He's saying, no, I am the Son of Man that is going to come, and I will rule with dominion and authority over all that there is. Over all that there is. Now, I want to keep in mind that this is not what we're reading here in um, 2531 through 46 is not the final judgment. Okay, I can think of three judgments, specific ones. First one is the Bema Seat judgment. Talks about it in Corinthians. The Bema Seat judgment is for believers. Okay, the Bema Seat judgment is, is they call it the Bema Seat because that is where um, somebody in the Olympics would get their crown. All right, it's a place of reward. And that's what believers get, because our perfection is in Jesus Christ. It is imputed to us. It's given to us, right? We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, okay? We're not perfect in and of ourselves, but he is righteous and perfect. And therefore, because we believe in him, because we believe that he died for our sins, right, and rose the third day for our justification, we are cleansed of every sin, right? We are like perfect little sheep, okay? Big sheep. <laughs> we are the perfection of Christ. We are the righteousness of Christ. Okay? And so what do we get? Do we get any condemnation? Romans says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We get righteousness, justification, perfection. That's what we have in Christ. Every sin is washed away. Past, present, and future. That's awesome. So that's the Bema Seat judgment. And then we have this judgment, which is the judgment of the nations, which happens when Jesus comes back. And it's like the first thing he does, because he's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. So what's he going to do? What's going to be allowed to happen in his kingdom? Who's going to be allowed into his kingdom? Only the righteous. Right? And so that's what this is about. And then we have the great white throne judgment, which happens before the new heavens and the new earth. Okay. And that's all the dead are judged. Every, every man, woman, and child from the foundation of the world will be judged on that day who is not found in Jesus Christ. So this is called the judgment of the nations or the judgment of the sheep and the goats. The nations here are Gentile nations. Okay, It's not speaking of Israel. The, the word used here is ethnos, which is where we get our word like ethnic from. Okay. But it, the, in Jewish thinking, or in biblical thinking even, there's Jews and there's Gentiles, right? It's, you're either one or the other. You're not Jews and then Italian or, or Jews and then, you know, or Polish or, you know, whatever it is, or American. There's Jews and there's Gentiles, okay? God added one more, the church of God. And he made the church out of both, Okay? So he took Jews, he took Gentiles, and he made the church. What it's talking about here is the Gentile nations, the Gentiles from all over the face of the face of the earth are going to be brought before him. And this will inaugurate the earthly reign of Christ for a thousand years. Okay? This will be an awesome time. We do know at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be let loose again to tempt people. Right? And there will actually be another war that happens. That they come against Jesus Christ and they fight against him. And he wins. So, sorry to ruin the story for you guys. But it also says that when he comes, the angels are going to come with him. All of his angels, right? Verse 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then they will sit on the throne of his glory. In uh, Jude 1, 14 through 15, it says this, 
It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So notice that there's somebody else who comes with him. So you got the angels coming with them. This is going to be, I mean, how many angels are there? Right? Multitudes and multitudes. That's hundreds of thousands. I mean, we don't even know how many angels there are. Right? But then also, the saints come with them. Who are the saints that are talking, that it's talking about that come with Jesus Christ when he comes back? Margot gets to ride a horse again. Okay? Listen to this. Revelation 19.14. We're going to look at Revelation 19 a lot, so I'm just pulling one verse out. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Zechariah 14.5. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to us all. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord will come, and all the saints with you. Okay. Here it's speaking of, we know that those saints are not the Jews at that time. Because the you that he's talking about, all the saints were, and all the saints are with you, because he's talking to um, the Jews. You shall flee through my mountain valley. Right? Jesus doesn't flee from anybody. For the mountain valley shall reach to us all. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Speaking of the Jews, but then all the saints will come with you. Who are the saints? It's the church. Before the tribulation starts, I believe that the saints will be caught up in the air with the Lord and shall forever be with the Lord, right? But then we come down with him. So, and we'll be on white horses with him. That's awesome. What will we do when he comes back? What will we be doing? Will we watch? You know, I'm just hoping I got a sword and I get to like do at least, you know, a little bit of damage. I mean, come on. But we know that that's not true. I think we're just going to be in awe of what the Lord does. You know? Go to Isaiah 63 for a moment. Isaiah is after Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Solomon. It's almost in the middle of your Bible. If you get like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Lamentations, any of those, keep going backwards. Isaiah 63, one of my favorite passages. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom? with dyed garments from Basra. Where's Basra? Petra. Petra is Basra, same place. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation before me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples of my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. So that's why I say, he starts in Basra, he destroys the armies of the Antichrist that have come against him and come against his people, and he makes his way all the way to the Mount of Olives, right? Right there at the where the temple is. temple is on Mount Moriah. The Mount Olives is just across that. Right in the middle is the Kidron Valley, okay? That's important to remember. That, um, that's how it's set up. And it's funny, when you go there, I always kind of... When I thought of it in my mind, I always thought it would be a lot bigger and spread out and stuff like that. It's like just two hills, you know, and they're big hills, they're mountains, but, but yeah, it was just kind of like, well, this isn't very far away. Like when you think of Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey and everybody saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, 
you know, I'm thinking, well, this is a really long journey. And I think even you watch the movies, it kind of looks that way. But when you're there, it's like, well, this isn't very far at all. You know, it is a huge area, but yet they're really close to each other. And that Kidron Valley is more like a, you know, a ravine, you know. Now let's go to um, the parallel passages to Matthew 25. Okay, so uh, Revelation 19. Remember, the context here is the judgment of the nations. So Revelation 19. It's the very last book of your Bible. Revelation 19. And all the old guy's favorite handgun, 1911. All right, that's the verse we're in. Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And notice, I don't know if you guys' Bibles have, like, headings in them to kind of help you keep track. Mine says, Christ on a white horse. Um, this is when he comes back, okay? Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful, and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right, so with, it, with this sword that proceeds out of his mouth, which obviously is not a literal sword, okay? The first time I read it, I was like just picturing the sword, and just going, ah. <laughs> but it's his word. His word is powerful. What did he create everything with? His word. What will he destroy everything with? His word. And so the word of God is likened to a sword in Ephesians. But with it he strikes the nations. It says in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So you see, when Christ comes back, the whole world is going to be judged. Every nation, every people, right? right? Small, great, kings, slaves, whatever it is, they're all going to be judged. Now go to Joel. Remember, back to the Old Testament. Joel chapter 3 the last chapter in Joel. So here's how you find it. If you go to Ezekiel, which is a pretty big book, or Jeremiah, keep going right. You'll hit Daniel, Hosea, and Joel is right after Hosea. Now this is going to describe it, I think, even more. So chapter 3, verse 1 of Joel. For behold, in those days at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. I remember what I said just a few minutes ago, what we looked at. The Jews are going to be taken to Petra, right? They're going to be led there. They're supposed to run there and flee there and stay there for times, times, and half a time, for three and a half years. And it says, behold, in those days at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, because that's where those people will flee from, or flee to. Jesus will bring them back. 
It says, verse 2, I, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Yahweh has judged. Yeah, that's what the name means. Yahweh has judged. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and have also divided up my land. Okay, so the Gentiles, the Jews have been through all these wars and they've been scattered all over the nations, right? Because of these wars, because of Rome, I mean, because of uh, uh, the Holocaust, all these things, Jews have had to flee all over the place. And God is finally going to judge the world for that. All right? Verse 3, they have cast lots for my people, meaning, probably meaning that they've sold them into slavery. They've cast lots to see who will get them. They have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. So this is how they treat the Jews. Okay? They treat them terribly. They treat them like slaves. They treat them like less than human. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. So why is God going to judge the nations? Because the way they have treated his people. Verse 7, Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. You know, you kind of wonder how the Lord's going to get all the nations to come up to uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat. He's saying, go ahead, come fight against me. That's what they're coming to do, to fight against him. Verse 12, let the nations be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. He's picturing their wickedness like, like the grapes in the winepress, right? And it, they, they press the, the grapes, or they trample them, and you know it's, it's overflowing. And he's saying, your wickedness is like that. It just keeps overflowing and getting to be more and more and more. And if you look at any nation, any people, that's what always happens. All right, look at our own nation. You know, I read a, a short little book by, I think it was Ken Ham, a couple summers ago. And it was talking about how Billy Graham, he evangelized in a certain way because people had been going to church. You know, he could go to them and talk about sin and talk about all these things because they knew what it was. The people of our day don't even know what it is. They don't even understand that they've been created for him and by him, right? They were created in the image of God and are supposed to be representatives of God. They don't understand that. Therefore, they don't understand sin. And the sin has just gotten worse and worse and worse. You know? I mean, my brother was working the riots in, in Ryan, and and uh, one of the things he said, he's like, I think there's actually more bad people than there are good people anymore. I was like, yeah, just go to Walmart. <laughs> I'm not joking. Go, walk down the streets of Broadway. It's scary, right? People are obsessed with sin. They, their minds are depraved. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse over time. The farther one generation gets away from God, the farther the next generation is going to get from God. You know, They stop going to church. We stop having the Pledge of Allegiance even because it says one nation under God in our schools. You know, There's no more. Did you know there used to be prayer in school? There used to be Bible in school? And that is no longer the case. And so we have grown more and more and more wicked. And do we think God's not going to judge? That he's not going to come down on us? 
on an entire nation. So their wickedness is very great. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. Because he's the one who guards it. Nothing will pass through it. Okay, now I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 14. This is the last place we'll go. So, the way you find Zechariah is if you were to go to the New Testament, you got Matthew, who's the first book. Before that, you got Malachi. Before that is Zechariah. So, Zechariah chapter 14. This is an awesome chapter. So each one of these kind of tells us what's going to happen. In Joel, we see that the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the Kidron Valley, okay, right there between the Mount of Olives and Mount Moriah where the temple sits. Right between those two places is where Jesus Christ is going to judge the nations. Okay, And now Zechariah is going to give us a little bit more detail. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Okay, that's speaking of what's going to happen in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, before Christ comes back. Then verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the mountain, Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east and west, making a very large valley. Remember how I said it wasn't very big? It's like, how are you going to fit all the nations in there? Well, I'm going to make a huge earthquake and it's going to make a really large valley. That's what he's going to do. It says, half the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Nobody knows where Azal is. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night, but at evening time it will happen that it will be light. So at evening time, what are they going to see? The glory of Jesus Christ coming. All right? It's going to be dark, Jesus said. And also we saw, uh, saw in these passages that the moon, the sun, everything is going to lose its light. There's going to be absolute darkness. And then, bam, light is going to shine forth and it is going to be coming from Jesus Christ. It says, and in that day, verse 8, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, which is the Dead Sea, and half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the winepress. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Okay, you guys ready to get grossed out? Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. 
and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. There's going to be a, such a panic among those armies, those people who are coming against Jerusalem and coming against Christ, that they actually begin fighting each other and killing one another. It's just going to be utter chaos. Verse 15, such also will be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, and on all the cattle that will be in the camps. So shall this plague be. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Why tabernacles? Tabernacles um, is the celebration of when the Jews were going through the wilderness, right? Through the desert for 40 years, and the Lord was with them. And here I believe it's the Feast of Tabernacles because Jesus Christ lives in their midst, right? Reigning on his throne from Jerusalem. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So he's going to get rid of all wickedness. It's all going to be gone, and he's going to drudge those who will not worship. Right? So let's go back to Matthew 25 now. Wrong chapter. 25. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered together to him, or gathered together before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. It's very common in the Bible to see the right is a place of favor. The left is a place of dishonor. Okay, kind of see that today in <laughs> our political system. You know. Sorry, I had to say it. Um, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So just imagine the trials that people will go through during the tribulation period, especially those who will not bow to the Antichrist, will not fall in line with the world system. They will be in dire need, right? The Jews will be in dire need. They will need help. Many of them will, be need, will need help. And, you know, my, I had a pastor once. He told me, how does God give to the poor? He gives to the rich and whites. You know, I always thought that was pretty good. He gives to the rich and whites. And um, why has he saved these people? Not just so that they could be saved, but so that they could reveal his glory and his love for his own people. You know? And so they, they go forth and they begin to take care of his people. They're sick. They help them, right? They're in prison, they visit them. They're naked, they clothe them. And um, the Lord is extremely happy with that. Because he says, says to him, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know? 
And those, remember that these are Jews that he's talking about. They took care of. And these nations, it says nations. Remember, it means the, the Greek word is ethnos. And it does, every nation consists of individuals. And so it's not just talking about nations that bless Israel, or else America would be sitting really well right now, you know, because America has blessed Israel, very much so. But it's speaking also of individuals. Individuals are the ones who will be taking care of his people. Individuals are the ones that will be making a difference. Right? And they call it come from every, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. I love how they, they say, when did we see you sick or in prison? Remember what Saul, or, uh, God, Jesus said to Saul, who later becomes Paul? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what was he doing? He was persecuting believers in Jesus Christ. And he took that as him, as him persecuting himself. Paul, or Saul, persecuting Jesus Christ himself. Jesus so identifies with his people. He says, if you hurt one of my people, it's like you're hurting me. You treat my people badly, you're treating me badly. It's a, it's a scary thing to treat God's beloved poorly. Now I want you to remember that. as you know, if, if our times here do grow darker and they begin shutting down churches and persecuting Christians more and more and more, like they do in so many other nations, just remember, they are persecuting Jesus Christ. And they will stand at the judgment seat, or they won't stand at the judgment seat, they will fall before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Right? Because every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he will hold them accountable for the way they've treated his people. But those who have been kind to his people, those who... Like, what did Jesus say? If, if any of you gives even a cup of water to one of these little ones because you are a disciple of mine, you will never lose your reward. You know, Doing things because we're his disciples and also for his disciples is, is the way we gain rewards in heaven. Right? And it's awesome. And who gets the glory if we gain rewards? Not us. Jesus Christ does. Because he's the one that saved us. He is the one that's changed our hearts. He has changed our minds. You know? Before I was a Christian, I care less about people. The, but when I became a Christian, you become zealous for good works. You begin wanting to do good things for people and to people, right? And so it shows that you're a believer. Then look at verse 41. So we have those who help his people. And now we have those who don't. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will, they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, one thing I want to address here is it's really easy to look at this passage and say, okay, so we are saved by our works. You know, because that's what it looks like. But we forget that there's a fundamental change in believers, Right? The believer is blessed by God. What did he say? Um, where is it? Then the king will say to those, no. Yeah, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father. Enter into the kingdom that's been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Okay, They are blessed because God blessed them. God saved them. Right? They're, not, they're not doing these works because they're just such good people. We know that that's not true. Read Romans 3. All right? What are we? We're, we're, we're pretty vile. 
right? We are sinners. We have a sin nature. It's like we have a sickness that has contaminated our very DNA to where we cannot be free of it. We, we do evil because we are evil, right? We are. But the moment that Jesus Christ comes in, he begins cleaning house. He changes the person from the inside out, right? The things that I used to love to do and I took pride in being as evil as I was and doing evil things, I then began to hate. That's what it is to be born again. Things that wouldn't bother me before and now torment me if I do them. You know? I can't look at certain things. I can't watch certain things. You know? I can't say th- certain things. I used to use God's word like it was a filth word all the time. But the moment I became a believer in Jesus Christ, that changed. I was like, that name is precious to me now. And why did I believe it was so precious? Because the Holy Spirit had changed me. Right? And that's how it goes for all of us. We're contaminated by Adam and Eve's sin. But Jesus has changed us, made us new. That's what it is to be born again, right? You're born anew. You're changed. So we're not saved by works. It says in Hebrews 11:6, For without faith it is impossible to please God. They have faith in Jesus Christ. That's why they are sheep. Okay? And think about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. It says, Abraham was Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He had faith in what God said. And it says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It's like when we work, it's like, okay, well, God owes us now. You know, if, the, if these people were to do this and... And, and they weren't saved, it would be like, well, God, you owe us now. You have to do this because I gave one cup of water to a poor Jew, right, to a poor Jewish kid. Does God owe him anything? That's like blasphemous to say. It's blasphemous to say that God should receive me based on my own merits because I have done so much evil and so much wickedness. I mean, are you ever going to balance the two out? I can't stop sinning long enough to do enough good to counteract the sin that I'm already doing. So how would I ever even those scales? It is impossible. It is impossible to even those scales. And so the works that I do are because Christ has already changed us. And that's what happens here. So nobody is ever saved by their works. right? And those who are condemned are condemned because they have not been changed. They have not been changed. They didn't give because they didn't have Christ in them. That's why they couldn't give. That's why they couldn't visit the sick or the poor or the, um, you know, the stranger and take them in. You know, the sheep are the one who received the testimony of Jesus Christ. How did they get that testimony? So you have two different events in the book of Revelation. Because like I said, the church is gone, so who's doing all this evangelism? Who's telling people about Jesus Christ? There's 144,000 Jews who are plucked out for Jesus Christ himself and marked. Right? They're saved, they're sealed, and then they're sent out to tell the gospel to the whole world. And then you have an angel that's flying through the heavens, you know, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, it says in Revelation. And the sheep are those who believe. The goats are those who refuse to believe. You know? So how do you know if you're one or the other? How do you know if you're one or the other? How do you know if you're a sheep or if you're a goat? You know? Go to John 3.16. Not John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. So almost at the end of your Bible. So Hebrews, then you have James and First and Second Peter, then you have First John.
three sixteen through 23. It says, By this we know, we, we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay our lives down for our brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. For by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commandments, I'm sorry, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment, that we should love or so that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. One of the greatest signs of being a sheep, a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who's born again, is that you will love his people. That is one of the greatest signs. The Christian who says, well, I hate church and I hate Christians, how could the love of God possibly indwell that person? You know? And, I, you know, I don't blame them because we're hard to love. I, I'll give a testimony to that, you know. But why would God constantly tell us to love one another if it was easy? He has to tell us over and over and over again to love one another. And to love one another does not mean everybody. It means the people within the church in context. Okay, we also love the lost. We love those people who are outside. We want them to come to Christ. We want good for them. We want happiness and peace for them. But more than anything, we are to take care of one another as well. It says, especially those who are in the household of God, we are to take care of in Galatians. And then, I'm not going to go there, but James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. You know, you say you have faith, well, show me your faith without your works, but I'll show you my faith by my works, he says. You know, faith without works is dead. One of the things I've been thinking about lately is I just need to find every day someone just to love. Maybe it's my wife. Maybe it's my kids. You know, but maybe it's I work with a bunch of Christians. It shouldn't be that hard, but it really is. You know, and uh, you know, but find someone to love. So, and and how you love on them is going to change according to the what's going on according to the context of of what's going on with that person. Some people you might have to encourage. Some people you might just have to smile at, you know, and treat them well. Some people you might have to bonk them on the head, you know, to love them. Stop doing evil. You know, quit. Some people you have to call out and tell them to repent. It's going to be different in every situation. Let's pray.